Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. What's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, y'all? This is Classified. This is Mocha Only. This is Sean Price. Yeah, Ghostface Killer. This is Quake Matthews. What's up, my brother Ali? Fight Diggy, Tribe Core Quest. Eloquent, man. What up, Styles Peter Ghost. This is Absol. This is K.O. And you listening to the Come Up Show, where that feel-good music lives. Hey. This is the show that you come up on, yeah. This is the spot that you come up strong, yeah. What's going on? Welcome to the Come Up Show podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm Martin Bauman, and today I'm talking to one of Canada's most underrated talents. Fun fact, he may actually be more famous in Japan than at home. He's released three major label projects there, and his first release in 2004, A Vision and a Plan, debuted at number 8 on HMV Japan's hip-hop charts. That album was released under the group name Focus, with another name you might have heard of, Emilio Rojas. Back home, he's been involved in a ton of projects and released a number of his own, including 2012's There's Only Today, but he's probably most known for his work with Decisive on the Jonestown series that took the underground by storm. Now he's back again with a new album, In Transit, and he's shifting more towards progressive composing rather than straight-up hip-hop. That's right, today I'm talking to Moonshine. We talk about his album, life lessons, not being afraid to be different, and lots more. Take a listen. Why don't you tell me what significance Public Enemies, It Takes a Nation of Millions has to you? Well, that was definitely kind of where it all started. That was the first um, experience I had with hip-hop music. I can't remember exactly how old I was when I first heard it, but I know I was young, like real young, like seven or eight or nine years old, somewhere in there. And at the time, I was living in Dalmany, Saskatchewan, which was at the time a town of about 1,500 people just kind of uh, northwest of Saskatoon. And I just remember there was this one dude, this this kid, Tarsh Backus was his name, and he was like a basketball player, and he and his friends were, were playing ball at the school, and they had like driven their, their old shitty hatchback car <laughs> right up onto the onto the tarmac, and they were just like blasting that tape, and I was just like blown away, and I asked them what it was, and they told me, and that was kind of the beginning from there, and they just was like hooked and started researching. So so who was it? Was it Chuck D or was it uh who who was the guy who really drew you into that? It was honestly it was everything. It was like a combination of the beats and and just like the commanding presence that he had as like the, the vocal performer. It was everything really. I don't remember anything particularly standing out, just I just remember being like, What the hell is this? This is crazy. Talking about your hometown of, of Dalmany, uh how else would you describe it? Um small i mean to be honest i don't have a a lot of memories of it i mean outside of just kind of regular like family memories and things like that um it was tiny i mean except i i just will now attach memories of kind of discovering certain things while i was there um but i don't really know how to describe it because small (laughs) i mean small and remote uh-huh. So, so uh, in a place like that, um, how much hip-hop is, is reaching there, and, and how are you finding out about new music as it's coming out? Uh, that, like I said, that if it weren't for Tarsh Backus, I never would have... I mean, I obviously would have eventually heard about hip-hop, but at that point, I wasn't exposed to it anywhere else. This is obviously way before the internet was, was happening. Um, there was no kind of, like, press in Western Canada that was covering any hip-hop we didn't have like much music at the time or mtv none of that stuff was reaching me so if if it weren't for that um 
I would have had no shot. And then I, I just went to Saskatoon. I remember maybe a few weeks later, I was in Saskatoon, and then I picked up my first couple cassettes. And from there, I would just use the the record stores kind of as my resource to learn. Um, aside from just like reading the liner notes of the tapes I was buying, and then trying to find out other artists on the same labels and things like that. And then that's I, I guess that's how my digging sort of began. Now, speaking of Saskatoon, uh, at one point you owned a record store in Saskatoon, I believe. Uh, yeah. tell, tell me about that time. It was fun, man. I mean, I, I owned a record store called No Static Records. It was myself and Factor, who's an artist who's from and based out there, um, another kind of producer, DJ kind of dude, all-around good dude. Um, that was back in, I believe, 2000 to 2001. Um, I was involved in that, and then I, I left the company, sold my half of the company to him, and I came out east to go to school, and he, he kept running it, um, I think for another maybe year or two, and then he ended up closing it as well, just because there wasn't enough support for it, but it was a lot of fun and a really good learning experience as well. Uh, you you mentioned uh, very briefly, talking about uh, in growing up in Dalmany, not, you know, there wasn't really the in- internet to, to find out about new hip-hop. Mm-hmm. Uh, once it did come around, though, what significance does hip-hop infinity have to you oh it was huge man that's how like that's that was my first real experience with um like other hip-hop artists and communicating with other hip-hop artists outside of my immediate circle so that's where i met a lot of the the people that i still work to now or people that i worked with along the way so i met uh emilio rojas through there who went by sicker one back in the day and he and i did Wow. Um, an album under the group named Focus in Japan. Um, I met Braille, who he and I formed Lightheaded. That was the first real sort of project that I put out back in 2000. Um, Ill Mind, M Phases, other producers. A lot of people were, were on there back in the day before message boards kind of got flooded with, I mean, stupidity, and, and <laughs> which was their eventual demise. But I mean, in the beginning, it was like a real a real resource and, and, and a place to kind of connect with other people who are kind of at the same point and even further along and just like to learn and network and whatever. So you basically just named the entire Wax Reform crew right there, all, all from Hip Hop Infinity. Yeah, we all met through there. I think D Minor is the only one I didn't meet through there. Um, and we met through like undergroundhiphop.com or one of the other ones. There were a handful at the time that, that I was members on. And uh, yeah, but we all met that way online and then eventually through traveling and touring or whatever else I've been able to meet them all in person except for M Phases who I've actually probably worked the most with but him being in Australia it hasn't been very practical. You know I think the last time we caught up with you this this would have been probably towards the end of maybe 2012 uh, mm-hmm. at the time you were with Decisive uh, had probably just finished the show and at the time it, it mm-hmm. seemed like you were calling it quits or, or you were fed up with hip-hop mm-hmm. now two years later you're releasing In Transit uh, what's what's changed in the in the meantime, or or do you feel as though it's been a, a transitory period for you? Definitely, I mean, it. I, I wouldn't even say that anything really changed since then. It kind of that that interview kind of came up at, at like a time when we were both very frustrated and just like, what the fuck? Like, what's the point? What are we doing? Hmm. And and since that, I I've moved away from hip hop a lot. Like, I mean, I'm st- I'm still doing certain things, certain production and stuff like that that is, is influenced by that. But uh, for the most part, I feel like I have moved away from hip-hop. I'm doing more kind of contemporary electronic production. I'm DJing that stuff a lot more. I've stepped back from MCing. I don't really, 
aside from this album, I haven't written a verse in months. Like it's, it's been a long time. That album was started in, in 2012 is when I first got started on it and just kind of like, I don't know, like I dug in on it and then I was just like, I'm not excited about this. I'm not feeling anything. I'm just like, took, took a big step back and kind of just moved it to the back burner and started exploring other things. Um, but then eventually came back to it. I had some uh, some real good breaks kind of late last year. There's there's this YouTube channel called Majestic Casual. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with it. It's like a Berlin-based YouTube channel that kind of specializes in more electronic kind of music. But they they premiered one of my first singles, which is a track called Venus and Mars, but it's it's a remix that my boy Freddie Joachim did. Yes. And it just like it just popped like crazy. It's I don't know. It's got like four hundred thousand plays and it really kind of got the ball rolling. And at the time I was actually working on the side project under a different name, doing like more sample free kind of more electronic stuff, still kind of hip hop influence, but, but kind of still a departure. But then when that kind of took off with the Venus and Mars, um, my management, we kind of came to an understanding that it made more sense to, to put all the eggs back in the moonshine basket, so to speak. And to, to follow that through. I was at a point where I, I had almost finished in transit and I was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to put this online and just give it away and, and not really work it or try and make anything more of it. And once we saw that start followed by uh, some other production stuff, like I did a remix of a Portugal, the man song that then also kind of in a way went quote unquote viral, which is also like coming up on half a million plays. And so, I mean, those kind of things really kind of, flipped the switch with me that that I needed to just keep playing in that direction but because I I had kind of established some kind of a base as moonshine and I have certain relationships as moonshine with press and with other things like that other labels and distributors and promoters and things like that it made more sense to keep it all together but it still was like a necessary kind of transition and that's that was part of the reason behind in transit is like it, it is a transitional period in my career as well. Like I, I literally wrote all the songs while in transit. So on like buses, planes, trains, walking, wherever. Um, so I, I tried to make like a literal concept to fit with the figurative concept of being in a transitional phase. But yeah, I mean, it's the, the departure from hip hop, I think was kind of just like the kickstart to, to finding this lane that I'm now going full tilt in and now i've got in transit coming out with tommy boy in the u.s which is like a huge label back yeah. in the 90s their legacy runs very deep um and i was just down in new york this past week just like meeting with everybody and, and i was djing some tommy boy events as well as some other things and it's just like things are really snowballing it's it's pretty exciting so uh when you when you mention this is this this album then uh and the the way that you are transitioning is this sort of like a a last hurrah for you as in, as far as hip hop goes and and you're really uh kind of saying like heads up I'm I'm going in this new direction or or what are you thinking I mean to be honest I I don't even know if I want to just like put a put a name on anything anymore I'm just at this point I I may come back with another album of me emceeing or I may not I really I really don't know at this point most of the work that I'm working on currently which will be for the next and future projects are not very hip-hop based there I mean there's a lot more electronic influence some of it is more upbeat stuff I'm 
I'm trying some some even dance music, all kinds of things are I'm I'm finding more inspiration doing that and it's more challenging and I'm having to kind of go back to learning how to do new techniques and things like that. Where when I was doing hip hop primarily it was just like going through the motions and and I, I wasn't challenged. I wasn't working with people that were really challenging me. It's just like everything was very easy and comfortable and still fun, but I wasn't kind of seeing any progress professionally. And that's obviously what you want as an artist. You want your music to reach people and, and be well received and have that lead to greater opportunities. And and as that wasn't happening, it, the the kind of change needed to happen. So I, I can't really tell where I'm going, to be honest. I mean, all I know is right now, I'm, just, I'm not writing any verses or anything. I'm just like 150% just on DJing and producing. And that's kind of where I'm going to go for the foreseeable future. This is a, a tweet of yours that I pulled up. Uh, what you said is, as an artist, one of the most difficult and necessary things to accomplish is determining who your audience is, not who you want them to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, tell me about that. Yeah, I mean, that kind of applies to hip hop, but that was more kind of, that came out of conversations I was having with, with my management and some other friends and just like how you see so many people think I, I need to have my shit premiere on noisy or it needs to, I got to be on the fader and I, I want to be this cool, like indie hipster shit. Like, like people think that that's where you need to be, but it isn't necessarily like some, you see other artists who are nowhere near those sites that have great success. And it's just, it's a weird thing as an artist to kind of try and navigate that and figure out where you fit into things, not kind of where you want to fit into things. And it's like, it's impossible to tell. It's, it's a, and that's where having people around you that are honest with you and, and kind of friends and a team or whatever you want to call it, that, that can actually communicate and track where things are working and where they're not working. It, it really is an invaluable kind of asset to an artist's career. And I just like see time and again and, through people that I've known over the years just that like have no clue about that stuff. And it's just, it's, it's frustrating. And I see the frustration for them and it's just like, it's, it's weird, man. It's a weird thing being an artist trying to, to navigate the music business with little to no help. (laughs) (laughs) That's a, that's a good place to to talk about uh, this next, because I think uh, being, being in Canada and being in the hip hop industry in particular, uh, it's such a tricky thing to navigate uh, having a successful career, uh, obviously, uh, this is something that any anyone in Canada who's who's trying to do this, they have to deal with. Um, how do you feel about the Canadian hip hop industry at this point? I mean, it's it's a weird thing, man. It's it's a combination. There's a combination of problems that I think are kind of holding it back. No one can really know for sure. I mean, obviously, there's a, a lot of issues. I think for the most part, and it might not even just be a Canadian hip hop thing. It might just be a Canadian thing is that people are often scared to the analogy I connected to is that people are often scared to be the first one on the dance floor. It's like you go to a dance and everybody's like standing on the walls and no one wants to be the first one out there because it's like, you're going to get made fun of. There's going to be people that are like, look at this fucking loser out here dancing, looking like an idiot. But by halfway through the dance, there's going to be a handful of people out there. And then by the end of it, everybody's having a great time. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I, I look at Canadian music, Canadian hip hop in particular, that people are like, we need something safe. We need something that's already familiar. We need something that is like a proven formula. And that's it. Like, otherwise we're going to sit on our hands and we're going to wait to really get behind something until 
we have somebody else tell us that we should like and that's where you'll see an artist like drake in particular just like got made fun of and nobody was feeling them no one had any offers for him even though he was making good music even in the beginning but it took him leaving for canada to say oh yeah we love drake drake is the best where like a year before people were like look at fucking wheelchair jimmy trying to rap <laughs> so what but now the guy is like running the music business and has changed the face of hip hop. Like, I feel like that is obviously the kind of big light example of that. It's not, it's, it's not like that for everybody, but I think that's the, my biggest problem is that people are kind of afraid to, to look at something that the person next to them isn't already saying, this is the coolest, this is the best. I like that. I like that analogy a lot of the the first. So so obviously that would be you know Canadians are still afraid to really go out and support their own before the United States does it, and they they get that cosign. Yeah, or or just anything. It doesn't even have to be in the U.S. It can just be like I'm trying to think of another example. I mean, Drake is obviously the biggest one, but that's pretty much it. It's just like until someone else tells a Canadian that it's good, they're they're not going to be the first to say it's good which is fucking wrong because there's so much good music here. But it's like the only ones that you actually see people talk about and and share and promote are the ones that are kind of like other artists or they're like, you know, they're safe. Mm-hmm. So no one wants to take any chances. Is that part of the, is that part of what excites you about going in this new direction and producing uh, electronic music? Is it any different, the community? Uh, I, I would say so for sure. I mean, I, I, for one, have just stepped in and started doing things, and it's just being embraced, like, with open arms. And that's a totally new experience for me. Like, I'm, I'm very used to to constantly feeling like uh, I'm being overlooked, I'm an underdog, like, which is shitty, like, and lame, but it's reality. Like, when you do things and then you kind of get nominated for a Juno or you win a, a, a SOCAN songwriting award or like certain accomplishments that I've, I've had over the years, you do those things and then you kind of feel like, all right, the next logical step is going to be either like winning a Juno or like having a label contact you to put something out or get a booking agent. And like you you expect some kind of growth incrementally as these things occur, but when they don't, and like that's when Derek and I did that interview where we were just like, fuck this, we quit, this sucks. <laughs> like, yeah. That was like, that like right after counts down three, we were just like, what the fuck are we doing this for? But now, like, like I said, after I've had these two tracks in particular, the Venus and Mars and the Portugal, the man remix, after seeing those two things go now, just for example, I'm just, I'm in New York on Wednesday night, DJing this vinyl only party and I'm playing this Panama record, which is kind of like a dance group from Australia that I think are really dope. I'm playing their record and this dude comes up on stage where I'm DJing and he's like, yo, what is this? This is crazy. You're killing it. I'm loving this music. And I'm kind of already drunk at this point. So I'm like, hey, thanks, Don. <laughs> Let me dap up. And I'm like, yeah, I'll send you some shit. Give me your card. And the guy gives me his card and I look at it. And the guy's the president of Atlantic Records in New York. And it's like, these people are out here looking and listening and they understand what's going on. And I don't know when when I was busy focusing on like Canadian hip hop, we're gonna make it in Canadian hip hop. It's like, what the hell for? Like, and that 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 even kind of ties into like knowing who your audience is, is like instead of who you think it should be, and like maybe I'm not supposed to be a rapper, maybe I'm not supposed to be a hip hop producer, maybe this all just kind of led me to this point now 
where me transitioning out of that into this new sound and this new world is where I'm supposed to be. And I mean, people always say you need to take the path of least resistance and that's what's happening now and shit is happening and it's crazy. Mm-hmm. I want to bring up another quote of yours. Uh, this is from another interview and I think you already touched on a little bit of this already uh, just from our conversation, but I'll, I'll bring it up anyway. What you said is, uh, mm-hmm. I feel more excited about being a part of this new movement of Canadian artists and defining whatever it is we're trying to define. I think it's going to help all of us more than trying to chase down Talib Kweli to get a verse in a song. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> care to shed light on that at all? Yeah, I mean, that question comes up a lot in like, quote unquote rap interviews it's like you've worked with some legends who else do you want to work with what other legends are you trying to work with and that's like not part of any of my goals anymore like I have worked with some of those guys and when I was a lot younger that was kind of a dream like for two reasons one it's like I grew up listening to this person and I just respect them through the roof and two you think okay if I work with this person people who follow them are then going to follow me and then I'm going to follow their career path and I'm going to be a great success and like only one of those is true and that's like I love this guy so I want to work with him but at this point I've done some of that and now it's that's not exciting to me so I'm, I'm not trying to do that that combined with the fact that a lot of these guys that I grew up listening to aren't either aren't making music or they're making music that I'm not excited about at all so at this point whether it's a Canadian artist or any other artist I am most interested in working with like up-and-coming people doing new things different things that I'm not doing just because it's more interesting and challenging and I feel like that's more fun so that's what I want to do. <laughs> uh, we, I, I brought up Wax Reform uh, much earlier uh, is that is that still a thing or is that still a collective? Uh, tell me what's what's the latest I mean, on that. Yeah it was always a very loose thing it was never like a we're a group or like we're going to put out an album or we're going to do any of this. Like we always were just kind of boys in the beginning that all came from one spot and we networked and we shared ideas and whatever. We worked on each other's shit. We still are all in touch. I still talk to all those guys regularly and, and we're all in touch and, and some of us still do work together in some capacity, but beyond that, we're just like boys. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah, so I guess it's just a group of friends under, under one collective sort of name supporting one another Uh, speaking of another highly talented producer i mean everyone in wax reform is very highly talented uh but uh, speaking of somebody else tell me about something that you've been running with eloquent lately uh, an event called Mm -hmm. pressure i mean pressure is that's kind of like the brainchild of this transition and the idea was to kind of create something here in toronto that there's a kind of like huge gap and opening for there's no one really doing these kind of parties Um, There's people doing like house parties or like whatever. There's a lot of hip hop events and things like that, but none of this kind of like new wave future bass, like electronic shit. So he and I both are huge fans of that music and like he and I are just friends as well. We've worked on a few things together. So I just like came up with the idea to do this pressure night and then I just hit him up to get him in the loop and, and he was fully with it. So now we're just doing this monthly event, and it's, like I said, it's all kind of future music. Um, it's been getting a huge response, and it's growing every month. We're thinking of making it more of a frequent event. But it's just kind of a place where people can come and hear new stuff or just hear good stuff. And 
And that's it. We're we're looking at taking it on the road too later in the year. We both we work with the same booking company, so he and I are looking at doing some touring dates down in the U.S. in fall, which would be very cool as well. Yeah, yeah. Maybe try and bring it around Canada too if the, if the opportunity presents itself. Oh, definitely. Uh, I, I want to wrap the these this interview up with a couple bigger, broader questions. Uh, first okay. of them being, uh, what's the best advice that you could offer to an aspiring artist in Canada? Um, the first thing that I, I would always say is like, like be yourself and just do what you actually like doing. Don't try and think too much about like where where am I going to fit in here and and how is this going to be received and and who's going to like this. Just like do what you like doing and do what's fun. Like make sure that you enjoy doing it. And if you do that and you get good at it by practicing, then people are going to come around. There's so many people out there that listen to all kinds of music that it's important to just do what you like. Um, otherwise it just, the, the fun gets sucked out of it. And other than that, I would say my second piece of advice is build relationships. I think relationships are more valuable than, than anything in not just music, but any kind of entertainment business. And if, if you can be a, a good, honest person who, keeps your word and works hard and and by practicing and getting good you develop your skills then you have a lot of opportunity to succeed because you'll have all these people out there whether they're promoters or people who work at labels or people in press or at radio or anywhere if you have those relationships then those doors open for you and and that's really valuable so I think those are the two biggest things I'd say. What about uh, the greatest life lesson that you've learned? Um, probably not to to kind of close any doors based on what I think I want. Um, and I guess that would come from what happened last fall where I was like, I don't want to, I wanted to walk away from Moonshine altogether and just do something totally new starting from scratch. and while I think I needed to, I needed to kind of have that departure to find where I was going to then fit. Uh, I'm glad I never just like closed the door on it and was like, this is never going to work. It's never going to happen. I'm going to quit. Um, learning to kind of never quit and just, and, and, and keep going, I think is, is the biggest thing. And I don't, I don't think it was ever like an epiphany. Like I learned that. I think that's just the most important thing that has worked for me is just like keep going, like keep trying. Final question for you. What do you want your legacy to be? Uh, I just want to make a lot of good music and that that entertains people and makes people think and maybe inspires other people to make music. That's it, man. I don't really know about a legacy. Honestly, I wouldn't mind making some money. I wouldn't mind <laughs> being able to, to buy a house and, you know, like, and have a comfortable life. I'm not trying to chase superstardom and and millions and millions of dollars. Um, I would just, I would like to be comfortable. I'd like to have enough kind of return on what I do to allow me to continue doing it um, more comfortably. Um, but besides that, as far as legacy is concerned, I just I would love to to walk away with a big catalog of work that that people have enjoyed, like on some level. Well, thank you for your time. Anything else you want to add? And uh, anywhere where people could find you online, anything like that? Um, I mean, just that the album's out. I'm hoping everybody will check it out. It's out June 30th on Scissor Records uh, and Tommy Boy. Um, yeah, and just like check out my SoundCloud page is where I post a lot of 
music I'm doing outside of these album cycles. Like there's a lot of remixes I do for other artists or I get other artists to remix my songs. They all go through my SoundCloud, which is just soundcloud.com slash moonshine. Um, and that's, that's about it, man. I think, I think that covers it. Well, there you have it. If you want to know more about Moonshine, go to thecomeupshow.com. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. If you haven't already, follow us on SoundCloud, too. You can also follow us on Twitter and Instagram at The Come Up Show. Once again, I'm Martin Bauman. Thank you for joining me. We'll see you next time. (laughs) 